Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Years ago, when I was in my late teens, me, my cousin and four friends went camping about 90 minutes north of where we lived in the Bay Area of California. 
We went to a regular camping ground and set up for three days and nights of partying. We heard from a few or campers who were somewhat locals of the area, living within 20 to 30 minute drive, that there were local stories about a section of the woods that were supposed to be off limits due to paranormal activity. As soon as I heard that, I decided we had to go check it out. My cousin and one of our friends were willing to go, our other three friends thought it was bull and stayed to get more drunk slash stoned, so we set off on the second night. We got directions from a boyfriend slash girlfriend on where to drive to, so we went at about 11 pm. We arrived at 11.20 due to dirt roads and going slow to not pop a tire. After parking we got out on foot and walked for about the same amount of time, maybe a little longer into the woods single file down what seemed like a game trail. After about 30 minutes of walking we started to see a glow in the near distance. We kept walking, but more quietly. When we got to within about 300 yards we could see that it was a bonfire with several small fires around it. When we got to within 250 yards, we could hear people. We started to get a bit spooked at this point, but like naive kids kept going. As soon as we got to within about 70 to 80 yards we could pretty much make out that we stumbled onto a ritual being held in the middle of the woods. We couldn't make out what the people were wearing or specifically doing, but they were visible in the firelight and there were about 12 to 15 of them around the main fire chanting and occasionally yelling. The main person, I assume, would walk to the edge of the circle of flames, disappear for a few seconds due to not being visible, then come back to the main fire and do something which encouraged the rest to yell and chant. Well, out of stupidity and curiosity, we wanted to see exactly what they were doing here in the middle of nowhere. We got a bit too close and we saw a person look in our direction, stare for a few seconds, and started to walk towards where we were not 50 t away. This sent us running as fast as we could while not trying to lose each other. The person yelled, confirming it was a he, and we started to be chased by I don't know how many of these people. We could hear them charging into the forest and after us in our direction, and thank God we had that amount of a separation on them or who knows. We got to my cousin's truck, piled in, and took off as fast as we could for the first couple one quarter mile. Needless to say, we've never been back. I camp elsewhere. I was walking through a woods with my wife it's just getting dark, middle of the summer so around 10 pm. We see what looks like a body at the bottom of a large hill, I slowly make my way down to it. As I'm going down the hill just over halfway I noticed an open backpack near a tree. My mind's racing think a personal fell or slipped something along them lines. I get to the body and it's a mannequin arms and body half dressed with makeup. We were about 10-ish miles from the nearest house, even more from the nearest village. It made no sense, if I'd have gone with the wife's first instinct to call police we would have looked like complete morons. I moved the mannequin so it looked like it was waving and went on out way, on the way back following the same route as we taken the mannequin was put back in the exact same position as we'd first seen it, we hadn't seen anyone else for 90% of the walk and it confused us even more. Never went back to that woods. I live in a rather rural area. It's a long drive through the forest that separates work from home. 
In the past couple of months people have started to turn up missing in these woods. No one knows why. Yes, people often get lost in the sticks, but five in one month? This is why I was doing 10 over the speed limit on my way back home that night. I turned a blind corner to see another car sitting in the road. I slammed on the brakes, having to swerve to avoid a collision. When I stepped out of my vehicle, the smell of burnt rubber was in the air. It didn't take long to find out why this person's car was in the middle of the road, its front end looked as if it kissed a tree. Unsure if anyone was inside, I tapped on the window and announced my desire to help. The door opened, and a short, mid-forties looking man stepped out. I asked him what might have happened here. I think it was a bear, he said. Turned the corner and he was just there. I asked if he was hurt and where the bear had gone. He ran off as soon as I hit him. And I'm fine. Though, I can't say the same for my car, he said. I hate to ask such a favor of you, but I don't live too far from here. Do you mind? I told him I'd be happy to drive him home, but first I had to report the accident. You don't have to report it, he said quickly. That was the first thing I did. At this point, he seemed a little off. Then I noticed he had his right arm behind his back. I didn't like that at all. Not knowing what to do, we sat in silence for a few minutes just staring at each other. Are we going? He asked. I don't know, I said, speaking more truthfully than I should have. There's still a bear out here sir, I think she might have had cubes. Do you how dangerous this situation is? He was sweating bullets which made me wonder if there really was something lurking in the woods. Still, I answered him with silence. I found his next move to be no surprise, he pulled a gun on me. I'm sorry, he said before turning his head towards the woods. But I cannot let that thing get me. It seemed clear to me that he was tripping on something. We have to go, he said. Now. What I did next, I did not expect to work. It was something I had seen only in movies. As quickly as I could, I grabbed the barrel of the gun expecting the man to fire as soon as I did so, he didn't, then pointing it to the ground, where he did fire, and sending a left hook to his face. He let go of the firearm and I threw it away. Then I ran back to my car and locked the door. The man started pounding on the window, begging to be let in. I started up the engine and the man broke down in tears screaming hysterically that the monster was going to kill him. Then the ground began to shack. Something big was approaching. I watched two giant, hairy, monstrous hands emerge from the darkness and grab the man outside my car, then rip him in half like unwanted junk mail. I could make out the silhouette of a large human-like thing standing before me. It stood just outside the ranch of the cabin lights. It picked of the two bloody parts of the man and walked away. My wife and I are now looking to move to the city. I don't know why he didn't want me reporting the crash. That part still bothers me. Was he going to kill me? Sacrifice me to that thing? That Sasquatch I suppose. Or was he trying to hide from someone? And if so, When I was in my early 20s, I loved going out in the winter time and exploring as much as I could. It was my favorite season to go out and hike in. Everything was so magical, and even though it was cold, 
the temperature and climates never pushed me away. Even though most people never went outdoors in that time, I always dressed accordingly. My favorite thing would be to go down all the bana and logging roads and just pull off and start exploring. Usually those are the best parts because so much of those woods around there are untouched. Of course, I like to really go and explore just about every season there is, but winter is just so unique. I'm not really a hunter by trade or a woodsman, I just like to hike and explore. But I do have many good friends that are avid outdoorsmen and hunters. Now there's always something to see and explore no matter really what season you're in. I often take weapons with me like elephant knives and such, just in case I would run into a bear or a mountain lion or anything that would put me in a bad situation. In this particular time, as I was exploring the area around, I came across what appeared to be extremely large tracks down by this little frozen river a few miles into the woods. I've always been pretty neutral about the whole Bigfoot phenomena, but this was amazing to witness firsthand. I don't know if really anybody else comes out this way, and if they do, I seriously doubt they're going to bring a fake foot imprint on the ground. This was a dried up old creek bed that looked like it had been not used for a long time, like maybe it had dried up years and years ago because the footprints looked like they had been frozen. I think what really got me was the overall impression of the footprint. You could tell it was set pretty deep into the frozen ground. Now these footprints weren't exactly in the snow, more so in an area where the snow is receding and the ground was still totally frozen, and it looked like the footprints had been there prior to snowfall. You can tell that whatever made this footprint or these footprints must have been extremely heavy. The footprints had easily been 16 inches or more and were only faded a little bit, so they were pretty well preserved but I think that was due to the cold frigid temps. It was interesting to note that there were five clearly defined toes in the footprint as well as no real arch. It was clearly a bipedal footprint. I was looking at the footprints loosely were around the riverbank and went into the direction of the woods. What's even crazier is the stride. The stride between the footprints was roughly five to six feet. What on earth would have that kind of stride out here? I didn't really feel like even trying to figure out what it could be. I thought about following the footprints, but I immediately considered that being a bad idea, just because one, I don't know what animal made them, and two, it was in a totally different direction than the way I wanted to go. I'm an explorer, but I'm not stupid enough to potentially put myself in a dangerous situation, especially when I am not familiar with what I'm dealing with. I don't have any casting material or any of that stuff with me, nor do I ever carry it because I don't make molds of tracks. This just happened to be tracks that I happened to run into. I ended up going back to my car some time later and driving back home. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I have a few friends of mine who are close with me that are Bigfoot enthusiasts, so I brought it up with them, and they were ecstatic that I told them about this. Not only did it tell me I ran into Bigfoot footprints, but they also shared with me some of their own hair-raising encounters that they had out in those same woods. You know, at this point, I don't know if Bigfoots really do exist, but I definitely can say that those footprints are pretty unexplainable, and I have no idea what animal made them. I'd spent years on the open road, trucking my way from one end of the country to the other. Long nights, lonesome highways, 
and the hum of my rig's engine were all I knew. There were times when I questioned my choices, especially when I was hauling cargo I knew I shouldn't be, but it was the only life I knew, and it paid well. It was a moonless night somewhere on a desolate stretch of highway between New Mexico and Texas. The weight of my illegal cargo was a constant reminder that I lived on the fringes of the law, but as long as the money kept coming, I kept driving. I was pushing my rig through the darkness when something caught my eye. It was off to the side of the road, hidden in the shadows of a dense forest. A flicker of movement that shouldn't have been there. I slowed my truck and squinted into the darkness, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. As I got closer, my heart pounded in my chest, and a shiver ran down my spine. It couldn't be real. It just couldn't. But there, in the moonless night, I saw them, a group of bipedal creatures, like something out of a horror movie. They were gathered around what looked like a massive wolf totem, roaring and howling at the night sky. I couldn't tear my eyes away from the bizarre scene. These creatures, half man, half wolf, had to be some kind of twisted cult. My curiosity got the best of me, and I decided to grab my phone and snap a picture. Maybe I could sell it to the tabloids, make a quick buck. But as the flash of my phone's camera illuminated the forest, the creatures turned their heads toward me, their eyes glowing with an unnatural malevolence. Panic gripped me, and I dropped my phone as I stumbled backward. The creatures were on the move, coming toward me with a terrifying speed. I didn't waste a second. I turned and sprinted back to my truck, the sound of their howls echoing in my ears. I could hear their heavy footsteps and the rustle of leaves as they closed in. My heart raced as I fumbled for my keys, praying that my old rig would start. The engine roared to life, and I slammed my foot on the gas pedal. The truck surged forward, tires screeching as I left the bizarre cult behind. The creatures, whatever they were, weren't about to let me go without a fight. They gave chase, their eyes glowing in the rearview mirror. For miles, I pushed my rig to its limits, adrenaline coursing through my veins. The creatures were fast, but my truck was faster. I could see them in my mirrors, falling behind, their roars fading into the distance. As the first light of dawn broke over the horizon, I knew I was safe. I couldn't believe what I had witnessed that night. It defied all reason and explanation. I'd lost my phone during the frantic escape, so I had no proof of what I'd seen. But I knew one thing for sure, I was never going to take that desolate highway again. Some secrets were better left in the darkness, and I had no intention of ever crossing paths with those creatures again. My illegal cargo could wait, my life was worth more than any payday. I'm a park ranger out in Nevada. There was an old, abandoned mining town that sat a ways off the main road. The park service had claimed it a while back, but people were not encouraged to visit there. In fact, it was plainly marked with signs that said, off limits, no trespassing, danger. Hell, about the only thing they didn't do was build a moat around the place. Sometimes I wonder if they should. Some people need to learn to read or listen, one of the two, because it seemed like I was always chasing people out of there. They'd look at me like I was crazy, but every one of them would spray gravel as they hauled ass after I'd tell them the story. 
I'm not supposed to tell the story. I've been warned many times. Even threatened with much worse than the unemployment line. I guess maybe I need to learn how to listen too. But it was the best way to make sure people left and never came back. I'm tired of being told to keep my mouth shut. I'm tired that nothing's been done about it. We rangers are supposed to just go about our jobs and pretend it never happened. Well, I believe that's the best and quickest way for it to happen again. And I never want it to happen again. It was a while ago. That's my way of saying I forget how long ago it was, but the memory's still fresh enough to tell. It was back when even I was unsure why the town was off limits. I'd heard old wives' tales and urban legends, but no one would ever commit to anything concrete. I asked around once and was told that I was better off not knowing. The old rangers would just tell me to mind my business and stay out of town. But something about it always intrigued me. I was never good at blindly following orders, so as often as I could, I'd find some excuse to drive past it. On that day it was a good thing I did. Or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. I noticed a small mobile home parked at the edge of the town. I knew it hadn't been there the day before. I pulled up behind it and got out of my truck. I scanned the area around and didn't see anything moving that the wind wasn't blowing. I walked around the vehicle and it seemed to be in good shape. None of the tires were flat. There seemed to be no good reason for them sitting there unless they were sightseeing. I peeked in the windshield but couldn't see anyone, so I went to the side door and knocked. Park Ranger, I said. Anybody in there? The wind whistling was my only answer. I knocked again. Park Ranger. Is everyone alright? No answer. I pulled on the door latch, and it opened. I'm coming in, I said. Just need to check to make sure everyone's okay. I pulled the door open and stepped inside. Unconsciously I rested my hand on my sidearm. I closed the door behind me, leaving the wind outside. I looked around the camper and found plenty of food and supplies. They seemed to be well stocked for a trip. I stepped back toward the bedroom, keeping an ear open for anything. It was eerily silent. The only thing I could hear was the sound of my boots on the linoleum as I headed back the short hallway. It wasn't a long walk until I got there. The bedroom was clean, and the bed had been made. I opened a few drawers and found clothes for a man and a woman. There was no sign of a struggle, so I went back out to the kitchen, stopping to open the bathroom door and find two kids' toothbrushes and toothpaste sitting on the sink. Just like the bedroom, everything seemed to be in its place. I noticed the hand towel holder was empty. I looked on the floor to see if it had fallen, but the towel was just gone. I shrugged it off and went back out to the kitchen. The table was still folded down into a bed, as these smaller models were known for. Scanning around I was hard-pressed to find anything out of the ordinary, except for the fact that no one was there. I stepped outside and the sun had disappeared. It would be dark soon. I looked around but didn't see anyone. It was as if they parked the camper at the edge of town and went for a walk. I stepped out of the camper and turned to close the door. That was when I saw it. There was a small dot of red on the step. I leaned closer and it looked like it could be dried blood. I tried to dismiss it as nothing. People drip blood every day for simple, non-threatening reasons. Nosebleeds, small cuts, 
general accidents, it could be absolutely nothing. But, when you add in a missing family at the edge of an abandoned town that's supposed to be off-limits, normal things don't look so normal. I didn't touch it in case it needed to be tested later for a DNA sample. And there it was. I was already starting to look at this as a crime scene. I looked down at the ground and saw my boot prints in the dirt, leading up to the camper. I also saw other tracks. There was another set of adult boot prints, a set of adult sneakers, and two different sets of smaller sneakers. Those were spooky but comforting. At least I knew these people were here somewhere. They hadn't just vanished from inside the camper. No, it was the other footprints that gave me chills. They were adult-sized and it looked like there was more than one of them, but the creepy thing about them was they were bare feet. I couldn't imagine anyone who lived in the area being stupid enough to walk around the desert in their bare feet. Aside from the different types of scorpions, there were also snakes, spiders, and lizards, just to name a few. It was becoming more likely that I would find this family dead from stupidity. I followed the barefoot tracks and they seemed to lead around the corner of the camper. In fact, they did several laps around the camper, with frequent stops where the feet were pointed toward the camper as if looking inside. That's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. This family had been stalked. I stepped in a wider circle so I wouldn't disturb the footprints. It became more apparent by the minute that this was a crime scene. I pulled out my radio to call in my position and request backup or police. But my radio was strangely silent. It didn't even click when I released the talk button. The light was lit, so I knew the battery was charged, it just wasn't transmitting. The smart thing to do just then would have been to get in my truck and drive to the station to report what was happening. I took one step toward the truck. That's when I heard the scream. It was a woman's scream, high and piercing. It was a scream of pain and anguish. As if her whole world had come crashing down. My fight or flight kicked in and there wasn't an ounce of flight in it. In a heartbeat, my gun was in my hand. I turned toward the town and began following the footprints. Once they were done circling the camper, they headed straight into town. Dusk had faded and taken the light with it. I pulled my flashlight off my belt and used it to guide me on my trail. There were a half dozen buildings all in some level of decay. I was worried about stepping into one and it just collapsing on top of me. That aside from the chance of meeting a scorpion or some other creature that didn't appreciate being disturbed in their territory. The wind had died down and the air was still. It was so quiet, I could hear my own footsteps. There was something else too. I felt a vibration in the air. At the time I thought it was just my heightened senses at the prospect of meeting up with a dangerous person who may have harmed that family. Even though everything within me was demanding I run towards the scream I'd heard, my steps were slow and measured. I needed more input. I needed to know how many people I was dealing with. I needed to identify threats and if I would be able to deal with this without becoming a victim myself. As I approached the first building, I had a strong feeling of being watched. Stepping on the porch made the boards creak threateningly. I didn't want this to end with a broken ankle or worse. I tested the boards before putting full weight on them and slowly approached the broken windows. I shone my light inside. I panned around slowly, 
finding a bunch of old boxes and general junk with the odd wooden chair and table. I was about to move on when back in the far corner I saw a pair of eyes lit by my flashlight. I froze, my light locked on it. The eyes seemed to be locked on the light as well. I couldn't tell what it was, but it scared the hell out of me. I suddenly thought of the movie I'd recently seen, Jurassic Park. When the actor was explaining how raptors attack. How one will draw your attention while two more sneak up on you and attack from the side. I suddenly felt very vulnerable, as if someone was sneaking up behind me. I whipped around, pointing with my gun and flashlight, my eyes darting all around. But I couldn't see anything. I shone my light back inside, but the eyes were gone. This didn't comfort me, in fact, it did the opposite, I was in a panic. I felt like I was surrounded, and they were just toying with me. I didn't even know who they were. I took a few deep breaths to get myself under control. I knew panic led to bad decisions, and I couldn't afford any bad decisions out here on my own. I shone my light back toward the camper and saw a shadow dart out of the light. I knew it was all or nothing. There was no backing out. I was being hunted, just like that family had been. I didn't know what was hunting me, but it didn't matter. Whoever or whatever, it was dangerous. Focus, I told myself. Stay on your toes, remember your training. Even though my training also said don't get yourself in a bad situation. It was already too late for that. Something was near the camper. I still had no idea if this family was dead or alive. The only things I had to go on were mysterious footprints and a scream. It was the stuff of every horror movie ever made. I just hoped I didn't end up as one of the victims that died a horrible gory death to save some stupid teenagers who risked their own lives by blundering into something they should have left alone. I sighed, turned my light back to the ground, and followed the footprints. I noticed for the first time there were other marks among the footprints. They had been walked over and obscured, but it looked like two long lines like someone was being dragged. I brought my flashlight back up just in time to see a set of eyes disappear behind a building on the other side of the street. I stepped up to the next building and shone my light inside to find much the same as the first, minus the eyes. I didn't linger long before turning my light back out to the streets and the other buildings. I felt like it somehow kept them at bay. As if they would work their way closer to me if I didn't sign my light their way. I didn't know how long this would last. I continued to the next building with a larger building looming larger at the end of the street. It looked like it was an old church. There was the rough shape of a steeple that had partially collapsed. I turned and flashed my light back to the street to keep the hunters back. When I stepped up to the window of the next building and shone my light inside, I found bones. Piles of bones. Most looked like they were from smaller animals, but there were larger ones interspersed with them. I was sure I spotted a couple of human femurs. I tried my radio again, but it still wasn't working. The vibration in the air was getting stronger. It was oppressive like the pressure you feel when you're underwater. The stillness in the air magnified any sound. I could hear the footsteps of someone behind me. But when I turned, I couldn't see anyone. I left the bone storage building and headed for the last building at the end of the street, the church. I walked up to the doors, and they were very plain. Two wooden doors, 
no Gothic architecture, no cross, just a couple of wooden doors that looked like they were about to fall off their hinges. I hesitated, turned, and looked back down the street. I knew they were there but couldn't see them. This was where they'd been hurting me all along. I held my gun and flashlight at the ready, knowing I was in for a fight as soon as the doors opened. I took a deep, cleansing breath, then shoved the doors open. I shone my light all around, my eyes darting to all the dark corners. Except they weren't dark. There were candles lit all around. It was quite beautiful. It was also quite empty. There was no one there. Even empty and well lit, it gave off a creepy vibe. Why do empty churches always do that? You would think it would be the opposite. My senses went on high alert. I didn't trust it. It must be a trap. As I continued to scan back and forth, looking for any hiding spots among the pews, I noticed there was one person there. In the first pew, bent over so I could barely see them. I slowly made my way forward, head on a swivel as I approached the lone figure. When I was nearly there it looked like they were barely breathing. I came around in front of the creature and aimed my gun. She looked up at me. She was naked and her hands and mouth were bound. As soon as she saw me, she started screaming into the gag in her mouth. She was screaming so hard her face turned red. I reached down and slid the gag off her mouth. It's a trap. She screamed. I looked up and saw my worst nightmare. There were creatures, dozens of them. Each one looked vaguely human, but they were deformed. There was one that had one healthy arm and a second that was shriveled up. One had only a single leg but still managed to hop toward me. Another had no legs but used its arms to crawl on the floor. None of them had a full set of teeth, but they all had a look of hunger and rage in their eyes. They came from everywhere, some even crawled their way down from hiding places in the ceiling, like some horrific Spider-Man. They swarmed toward the front of the church. I looked around for anywhere to go, anywhere to hide, when I locked eyes on a door that looked like it was a closet. Come on, I said grabbing her arm and dragging her over to the door. No, I can't, please don't make me, she said tugging against me. We go in here or we die, I said, cutting the ropes around her wrists and putting my jacket over her shoulders. She reluctantly came along with me as the horde of creatures was nearly on us. Quick. I said opening the door and shoving her through. I slammed it shut behind me, taking out my knife and jamming it into the wooden doorframe to keep it shut. I turned and nearly ran her over. She hadn't moved. She was standing there staring into the dark. I shone my flashlight in front of us and saw a rickety staircase descending into the darkness. P please don't make me go down there, she whimpered. We don't have a choice, I said. They'll be through this door soon. The pounding had gotten louder. She turned toward the door, then pulled my jacket closer around her and took a deep breath. I stepped around her and led the way, shining my light all around trying to make sure we wouldn't run into any surprises. The boards creaked menacingly with every step I took. I couldn't see what was underneath but had no desire to find out the fast way. I looked back and she was still staring down. I held my hand out and she slowly took one step then another. Her bare feet were filthy. I wondered if she was getting splinters as she took each step slowly. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...and gingerly as if walking on hot coals. After she had taken a few steps, I turned back to guide our way. The stairway was long and attached to an uneven stone wall. At some points... It jutted out far enough I had to squeeze around to get to the next step. It was getting colder as we descended. I started missing my jacket but knew she needed it more. The spider webs weren't helping my anxiety either. I wondered if they were made by the deadly breed. I glanced back and saw she was still working her way down the stairs. When I looked forward again there was a creature coming up the stairs toward me. I didn't think, just reacted. I barely had the gun pointed until I fired. The creature fell back with shock frozen on its face and tumbled down the stairs. I instantly regretted my action as my ears were already ringing from the gunshot in such an enclosed place. I turned around to check on her, but she was curled up in the fetal position sitting on a step, ears covered, rocking back and forth. It's okay, I tried to say, but my voice sounded strange. I guess temporary deafness will do that. At least I hoped it was temporary. She didn't look at me. I was unsure if she had heard me so I touched her shoulder and she immediately recoiled and climbed several stairs backing away. I bent down to her. Look, I know you're scared, I would be too, but if we're going to get out of this, we have to do it together. If I'm going to have to check on you every few steps, we'll be helpless if another one of those things attacks. I d don't want to go d down there, she stammered. I looked ahead and then back at her. We have no choice. I turned and started down the stairs again. After around a dozen steps, I turned to see she had stood and was slowly making her way down again. I kept going until I made it to the bottom and kicked the corpse of the creature out of our way. I looked around but there wasn't much to see. It was a passageway made of the same rough cut rock walls and a dirt floor. I turned to see her make it to the last step. Her eyes were wide with fear. I could only imagine what she had already been through. She looked away as she stepped past the corpse. I decided to make a little conversation as we walked down the endless passageway to get her to focus on something other than our situation. You're from the camper, aren't you? I said. She nodded absently as she stared at the floor. Were you going on vacation? Another nod. I saw the kids' toothbrushes on the bathroom sink. How many kids do you have? Her eyes glazed over. Two. Boys. And your husband is with you? She nodded. Where were you headed?
Vegas. What made you stop here? The kids wanted to see the abandoned town. Tears streamed down her dirty cheeks making lines on her face. Would you like me to stop talking? She nodded. We continued forward in silence. The chill of the place made me shiver, but not just because of the temperature. The thought of being attacked at any moment was more than keeping me on my toes, it was wearing on my nerves. After some distance, we came to an opening that stretched out into a full room. She stopped and stared. I was puzzled at first until I noticed the smell. It was the stench of death. I shone my light around the room. The first corner I came to held a pile of bones. There was no denying these ones were human. They were large and the right shape. There were even a couple of full torsos still together that hadn't deteriorated yet. In the next corner, there were three bodies hanging from the dirt ceiling. It looked like a man and two boys. They had been strung up by their arms and were covered in blood. There were innumerable cuts and puncture wounds, but the most horrid sight were the many bites that were taken out of them. She collapsed and began to sob. I knew right away this was her family. I'm so sorry, I said. She looked at me with a mix of hopelessness and rage. I tried to tell you not to come down here, she said with quiet forcefulness. I'm sure we can find some way too. She shook her head violently. You don't understand, she said looking me straight in the eyes for the first time. This is the trap. She stood up straight for the first time since I'd seen her in the church, took off my jacket, and tossed it behind her. She was beautiful, even though she was covered in filth. My children need food, she said stretching out her arm. In an instant two deformed creatures appeared and stood beside her. She stroked the thinning hair on their heads as they cooed at her. So, there was no woman in the camper? I said, trying to stall for time until I could come up with a plan. Oh, no, there was a woman. She was taken to the birthing house. She will give my children their own children. Against her will, of course. She looked at me with disdain. She is a tool we will use to survive, just like my ancestors were treated as tools to be used in the mines. I glanced around the room and saw several more creatures emerge from the shadows and advance slowly toward me. I knew I was trapped. My mind scrambled for some plan, any plan to escape the horrors that waited for me. I glanced at the three bloody mangled bodies dangling from the ceiling and knew that would be my fate. I made my decision and didn't hesitate to implement it. In a flash, I drew my pistol and shot her in the forehead. The sound was still echoing when I started to run back to the passageway I had come from. I hoped that the shock of seeing their mother die would give me a head start before the horde of creatures hunted me down and tore me to shreds. Time seemed to move in slow motion. I felt like I was running underwater, every move, every step seemed incredibly slow. I knew they would catch me, there was no doubt in my mind, it was only a matter of time. The only thing that kept me from giving up was the sheer will to live. I swung the flashlight as I ran, making shadows jump and fly around. I arrived at the bottom of the stairs much sooner than I thought possible and threw myself up them two at a time, praying that I didn't trip. The horde was hot on my heels. I could hear them getting closer. The grunts and snarls spurred me on even faster. I felt something brush against my heel and knew I had to act. I didn't bother to look back, 
I fired two shots into the closest one. I heard the inhuman scream and the sound of falling bodies. I risked a glance back to see them all tumbling down the stairs. I breathed a sigh of relief as I reached the door and struggled to pry my knife out of the wood. After a few agonizingly long seconds, it came free, and I dove through the door. Much to my surprise and relief, the church was empty. They must have all gone another way to trap me below. I looked over at the dozens of glowing candles and ran straight toward them, knocking over as many as I could. I ran to the far wall and did the same on my way out the door. Once I was through, I turned back and jammed my knife into the door so they wouldn't open. I didn't waste time celebrating my close escape. I ran down the middle of the street so I would have a good view of anyone or anything chasing me. It didn't take long until I heard footsteps behind. They sounded more like a pack of dogs chasing me. I glanced back and sure enough, there were a half dozen deformed creatures in hot pursuit against the backdrop of the church engulfed in flame. I took some solace in the fact that at least some of the unnatural bastards must have burned up in the blaze. I had a stitch in my side and my leg muscles burned, but I didn't dare slow down. Even at the speed I was running, they were catching up. I wasn't sure if I would make it to the truck before they got me. It was going to be close. I reached the truck and breathed a sigh of relief that I hadn't locked it. By the time I got the keys in the ignition and started it, they were on me. I locked the doors and slammed it into reverse as the first body flew into my windshield, shattering it. I got some momentum going as another landed on my hood and another grabbed my door handle. I swung the truck around and slammed on the brakes, sending them flying. I threw it in drive and stomped on the gas, spraying gravel. I hadn't gone more than a few yards when another freak landed in the truck bed and started pounding on the cab roof. I could see the dents getting deeper. It would be through soon. Suddenly the pounding stopped. I kept my eye on the road but turned to see what was happening. It smashed through my rear window, grabbing me by the neck. I swerved to try to break its grip, to no avail. I could feel myself starting to black out. I knew that would be a death sentence. I pointed my gun out the window, but the creature grabbed it before I could aim at its head. My mind raced faster than the truck that was hurtling down the dirt road at breakneck speeds. I was seeing stars. I knew it was a matter of minutes until the end if not seconds. I squeezed the trigger. The gun went off right beside its head, missing it by a few inches. I was done. It howled in pain and fear at the sound and the heat of the round going off. Amazingly, it let go of the gun. I aimed at its head and squeezed the trigger again. Blood rained on me as its head snapped back and it fell into the bed of the truck with a heavy thump. I sat the gun on the seat beside me as I breathed huge gulps of air wiping the blood out of my eyes. My vision returned just in time for the turn onto the main road. The tires screeched as they bit into the asphalt on the way to the ranger station. I got there shortly after sunrise, pulled into a parking space, and sat back in the seat. Exhaustion and adrenaline crash sapped my energy. I fell asleep. I woke to the sound of someone knocking on my window. I whipped around, grabbed the gun off the seat, and swung it back around at the window. Whoa there, son, the older ranger said, raising his hands. What's got your panties in a bunch? I took a deep breath, 
lowered the gun in the window, then told him the whole story. The longer I went the more serious he became. Until the story was done, his face was made of granite. He stuck his hand in the window. Keys, he said. I pulled the keys out of the ignition and handed them to him. Go inside and get yourself cleaned up, he said. I'll take care of this. I stepped out of the truck on shaky legs and walked into the ranger station, threw away my bloody uniform, and took a long shower. By the time I had finished and changed into a fresh uniform, the other ranger was back. He stepped inside the station and scanned the room until he found me. All taken care of, he said with a crooked smile. What do you mean? I said. Did you call the police? He looked around at the handful of rangers that were milling around the room trying to make it look like they weren't listening to our conversation. Yeah, we're not gonna get the police involved in this, he said. What? Why not? He looked at me with an odd determination in his eyes. So you really killed her did ya? He said. Of course, it was her or me. Most of the folks around here give that place a wide berth, he said. There's signs all over saying no trespassing in danger. You'd think it was almost natural selection for those who ignore all the warnings. But those travelers. And then there are others who visit the place on the down low, all quiet like, he said as if I hadn't said anything. Those folks might say you robbed them of their fun. You might even call them conjugal visits. There might even be some of those folks in this very room. I stared at him in disbelief then looked around the room and saw every set of eyes focused on me. There wasn't a smile or even a hint of one that suggested this was a joke. He clapped his hand on my shoulder. Why don't you head home and rest today? He said. You've had a long night. We'll take care of things. He ushered me toward the door, pausing before opening it. Just remember that nothing happened, he said. Because if the police get an anonymous phone call, we might have to drive out and grab a couple of children to come visit your house in the middle of the night. You get me? I nodded my head in a daze as he opened the door. That's the story I tell when people don't take the hint and stay away from the town. It's been years, and every once in a while, I hear of travelers that disappeared in the area. I shake my head and wonder. I have never given Bigfoots or any supposed animal that doesn't exist any real thought in my life. That is until I went camping back in the fall of 2005. My place of choice was Mount Adams in Washington state. I do things pretty unethically and probably quite dangerous to most. I usually start off at a trailhead and go completely off trail, using only my compass to guide me back in the right direction. I was pretty good at doing what I do so I knew I wasn't too uncomfortable with the concept of the whole thing. I remember the leaves were just starting to change color, so this was probably earlier in October. I remember I had hiked miles and miles the very first day, set up camp, got up the next morning, went again for another 5 to 7 miles before toning it down that evening and settling down early. I had probably hiked at this point an accumulative 12 to 13 miles so far and I wanted to make sure I rested a lot this very evening. What was really nice about the spot that I set up camp at is that I was only a couple hundred yards away from a rather large creek. This enabled me to use water for multiple purposes, 
including cooking with that night itself went pretty normal. Everything was beautiful out, the stars were out, the sounds of the forest, it was wonderful, and I slept pretty well until the following morning. I remember waking up about 5 or 6 in the morning or so, I think, to some weird gibberish chirping sounds, probably about 200 or so feet away, if I had to guess properly. The sound seemed pretty distant but close enough that I could actually hear kind of what was going on. These sounds sounded like people on speed talking as fast as they could. It was the weirdest thing. I remember thinking to myself, why would there be anyone out here? I'm at least 13 miles away from any trailhead. I just laid there though with my eyes shut, trying to drift back off to sleep, but this gibbering sound, is all I could think of to call it, kept going on and on. Finally, I got curious and wanted to see what was going on, so I got out of my sleeping bag and poked my head out of the tent. Now, from right where my head pokes out of the tent, I had a pretty clear view of the creek. From where I could see and there was enough trees and brush that I was kind of concealed, I guess you would say, like if there was a bear or some predator at the creek, I don't think it would necessarily see me, but again, I had a pretty clear view. I remember I looked over in the direction of the creek, and I was stunned by what I saw. There were two humanoid figures, I guess we'll call them. One was black and extremely hairy, the other one was almost a pale white with a little bit of gray. The pale gray one was taller and larger than the black one, if I had to guess sizes. Of course, just based around the rocks around them, I would say the black one was maybe 5 to 6 feet tall, while the pale gray one was probably 8 to 9 feet tall. The pale gray one was obviously much larger in girth and overall size, even the muscle mass was a huge difference between the two. I couldn't really make out any faces or anything other than just seeing these large shapes, but I remember hearing the gibbering noises go on and on, and it sounded like it was coming from them. They were moving their arms around like they were lost in conversation with one another, and they were literally standing right at the bed of the creek. I was in such shock and disbelief, and so bummed out I didn't even have my Kodak camera or anything to take a picture of these things with. I was pretty sure what I was witnessing was two Bigfoots having a conversation or something like that, although I don't know if you could really call that conversation. It was just these weird high-pitched gibbering noises that I guess would be their communication. I'm not sure. This went on for a little while longer, and I watched them out of curiosity. I never sensed any fear or felt anything bad, just watched them sit there, move their arms around, and talk to one another. And then, before I knew it, they kind of just disappeared. They moved out of view really quickly but the gibbering noises and sounds still kept going on, although I could tell it was moving farther and farther away. It's really crazy to me because I know that the Pacific Northwest is supposed to be known for Bigfoot, but I never actually ever believed in that, and I didn't think I would be running into any of them at all in my camping expeditions, let alone. After they left, I got back in my tent and got everything ready to go, and I actually tried to head back to where I came from just in case. I didn't want to wander into their territory or anything like that. I have no idea what kind of animals those things were, and I didn't want to be on the aggressive side of any one of these things, even though I wasn't scared at all. 
I feel like this whole experience just taught me to be a whole lot more aware of your surroundings and to be open-minded to the unknown. Even though there's things out there that are supposedly not supposed to exist, I saw with my very own eyes two of those things. I don't know if Bigfoot are supposed to be a type of people or an animal or even supernatural, but whatever they are, I must have been close to maybe a den or a village or whatever it is that they migrate and live in all together. I've told my experiences to a few friends of mine, and they actually tell me that it sounds like I encountered an elderly Bigfoot talking to a younger juvenile Bigfoot, which I thought was extremely interesting. I guess white and gray Bigfoots aren't as common, but I guess they are seen from time to time. I don't know if it's because of their age or what it is that causes them to be that color, but then it was also interesting to see a shorter one, which would make sense that maybe that one was a juvenile that was talking to the elder one. Maybe that really did mean that there was a village nearby or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but it would make a lot of sense since Mount Adams, I guess, is kind of a hot spot for UFO and Bigfoot encounters. I later on found out, and like I said, I was at least 10 plus miles off of any trailhead. It would be impossible for really anyone else to be out there in a big hairy gorilla costume of any kind. There's no reason anybody would travel 10 plus miles out in the middle of the forest to do such a thing, and for what reason? Not to mention, those Bigfoot sounds were just not human. This happened to me a few years ago, and I don't mention it often only because it sounds fake and made up, and I don't expect anyone to believe me. I'm just posting here because the experience has stayed with me for some time. A few years ago, I was hanging out with my then boyfriend and friend. Both of them are classic, logic type dudes whereas I have a healthy respect for the paranormal. They think stuff like astrology etc. Is bogus whereas I believe in it. It was around 9 pm and we all wanted to go to the beach and one of us decided to make an Ouija board for fun. I'll preface this by saying neither of us drink or use drugs. They were both being really silly and I was the only one who was nervous and saying we have to take this seriously. When we got to the beach, I called the quarters and opened the circle and we started asking dumb questions and nothing happened. After a half hour, we asked if someone was with us and the board shot to yes and we were all visibly freaked out. I immediately tried to end the session and close the circle. We all said we still felt it and were all pretty freaked out. My friend started maniacally laughing and my boyfriend started getting undressed and said I'm going swimming. It was fall and like 3am and I didn't feel weird at all, just scared. I'm begging him not to get in the water and he just keeps blankly staring at me saying I'm going swimming. I'm crying begging him not to go and he snaps out of it and basically was like what the f am I doing? And looked scared as hell. My friend is still laughing and yelling that his name is Marsha and my boyfriend and I are really scared. We pull him up the stairs from the beach and get him to the car. Once we're on the street he saw a deer, and ran after it faster than I've seen anyone run in my life. We get him in the car to drive home and we drive by a church where he starts speaking in tongues and my boyfriend and I are just lost at what to do. When we get to my boyfriend's house, he and I run inside and close the door, I know this was shitty of us, and our friend literally left claw marks at the door trying to get in. I call one of my friends who knows a lot about this stuff, 
and put the phone to my friend's ear where my friend on the phone said a word from the indigenous Cree language. My friend then projectile vomits and starts sobbing asking what has happened. The next day we go to get fast food, and the employee keeps calling out A to go order for the name Marsha but no one comes to get it. The three of us have since drifted apart and I don't think about it too often, but part of me thinks my friend and boyfriend were faking it but neither of them are that type of person. I have doubts because of how fast my friend ran after the deer was humanly impossible. I'm not trying to prove anything but just thought this would be interesting for some of you. So the first experience happened when I was 7 to 8 years old and we lived in a suburb called Molden in Darwin, Northern Territory. There were these aboriginals that lived up the road from us and they were notorious for having a lot of domestic violence and always having cops slash ambulances over their house. What happens when the families fight is that they start doing black magic on each other and sending evil spirits slash curses to each other. One night the cats and the dogs in the neighborhood were extremely vocal. The dogs couldn't stop barking and the cats were meowing and running from drain to drain trying to find somewhere to hide. This went on for a good 4 hours until about 12 to 1 am. Me and my mum were sleeping and my sister came running in the house saying get up there is an alien ship outside. We get up and go outside and fair enough there is something that's silver colored and shaped like a typical saucer as you see in the movies right above the aboriginal's house. It had lights underneath it projecting onto the ground going in circles they were a light blue color and from the outside going into the center. It was biggest to smallest and they were circular shaped. The lights just kept twirling around and I wish I took a video but back then phones weren't very common and even if you did have a good phone, the camera quality was terrible in the early 2000s. It stayed there for a very long time and then left. The next day we heard of kids that had followed it on their BMX bikes from different suburbs away. This wasn't the only time it happened it happened at least twice and every single time it would start off with the dogs and the cats in the neighborhood going crazy. I know it wasn't a fake prop because of the animals and at least 7 to 10 other witnesses that seen it. I seen a video on YouTube of cats sensing earthquakes before they hit because they have supersonic hearing and 4 also heard that before a natural catastrophe like a flood happens, animals will seek high ground a day before it happens. They know things that we don't for sure. The second weird thing that I seen was when we had made a trip to Alice Springs. My sister was dating one of the boys that were from that house and that family. When we were in Alice Springs late at night we happened to see another weird thing which very closely resembles the old PS2 startup screen with the colored balls twirling around each other. There was four lights colored orange, green, blue and red just twirling around each other in a pattern maybe 12 feet in the air. It was so strange for it to be so prominent and just stay there for a long time doing it and allowing us to see it. My sister told me 15 years later that the reason the lights were following us was because her boyfriend had a curse on him. He was an accessory to murder. He had given one of his relatives an axe to go and kill his wife and the lights had followed us 1500 ks all the way from Darwin. The third time was at my property in Berry Springs maybe 25 ks out of Darwin. A lot of people started telling us that they see lights on our property and it's a rural property with lots of land because I'm a traditional owner. 
We thought it was thieves trying to come on our property with flashlights and steal stuff while we were sleeping. I was around 11 to 12 years old when I saw the light for myself. It was late at night again and I was going down to the stairs because the toilet in the house was broken and I had to use the outside toilet. About 30 meters away underneath a mango tree I see a faint light like an old torch when it loses its battery and it starts to turn brown. I was about to yell out because I thought I was about to catch the thief. But very quickly I realized that it was gliding and sort of bobbing up and down. And maybe it noticed that I saw it so the light went from a dim brown color to an immaculate gold color. I can't even describe the color but it was like a small piece of the sun right in front of me at night. It's like when you see a lightning strike at night and it lights up the entire area around it. Well I saw it in a small compact ball the size of a basketball. There is no man-made thing in this world that could match the brightness that I saw that night. It was incredibly bright it opened my brain up to a whole new brightness that I've never seen in my life. It was kind of like a human spirit because it turned the corner as if it was walking. It didn't go through the wall that was nearby and it stayed on the footpath. I would have stayed and stared at it heading into the opposite direction but as soon as I seen it turn the corner, I immediately thought that it could easily turn back around and come charging straight at me. I got incredibly scared and ran back up the stairs and what made it worser was I was home alone and I couldn't go outside and pee. There is a common name for these lights called Min Min lights. But I'm not sure if that's what I seen that night because I've heard of people seeing the lights that were either green or red but this one was a strange type of golden that I've never seen on this earth. The fourth time was when my uncle was dating an aboriginal woman and she had a niece whom my sister befriended. There are these things called hairy men. They are ugly little creatures that can pop into the spiritual realm and our realm. Kids are given these creatures as protectors apparently and they can hop into the owner's body and help them fight. My sister and her friend that lived with us was stupid enough to accept one of these creatures as a friend and that's when a lot of crazy things started happening in the house. For example as we were taking showers we would hear little giggles and knocks on the door. My mum would fall asleep on the lounge and wake up in a whole different spot at the front door. There was lots of other things that happened that I can't remember because this was at least 13 years ago. We were eating dinner one night and for some reason they loved coming out and tormenting us when it was a stormy night and raining heavily. Well I happened to see one of its faces just peeking up from under the table looking at our food. I got a very quick glimpse of it. It had pale skin, a scar on its face going from top to bottom and black hair that was very thin and horse-like immediately got up and screamed and threw the ashtray at it but it disappeared. We left the house that night and our food and the next day all of our plates had no food on it. We had to go into town and find some aboriginal men that knew how to get rid of these things through black magic. They came to the house and was doing all kinds of chants and rituals and we even heard it in a bush nearby and one of the guys threw a rock at it and it made a dull thumping sound as if it hit flesh. And that was the last we ever had any more paranormal experiences from them. When they were in our house before the men came, I experienced my fourth paranormal encounter. We all started sleeping together in the lounge room because we were too scared to sleep alone for obvious reasons. I was the only one awake and I couldn't help but feel there was a presence in the house. 
I stayed up for maybe four hours looking around the room because I felt like it could pop up out of nowhere and I would easily see it. Well, it didn't show itself to me that night but what it did do is start slamming the cupboard doors violently at least six times. I literally didn't hear any footsteps in the house that night but it was just on the other side of the wall slamming the cupboards really hard like it was angry and that was the most frightening experience of my life because I was the only person experiencing this. It's true that your fear feeds evil entities because I was scared that night and was really focusing on it, giving it my energy. And it was really hard to go to sleep that night knowing that this thing had physical strength but I did end up going sleep that night out of pure exhaustion of staying up really late. All in all these experiences have helped me build my faith in becoming a Christian man because I know for sure that demons exist.